Are you going through or have you ever gone through deep grief? Grief is in and of itself an incredibly difficult pain to navigate. Then there's figuring out who you are in general after the loss. And on top of that, when more healing has taken place, figuring out who you are as a creative and trying to create again post-grief. Today's guest has a powerful story of moving through grief that will help you or a loved one through any deep loss. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. And this show is meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Dina Gashman. She's a Pulitzer Prize Center grantee, an award-winning journalist, and a frequent contributor to the New York Times, Texas Monthly, Fox, and more. Her book, So Sorry for Your Loss, came out this past April. In the book, she takes you through grieving her mother and sister. It's a testament to the love of family and the grief that forever can change you. The book has been featured in places like Time, Southern Living, Oprah Daily, Teen Vogue, CBS, and more. What I love about Dina is that her writing is deeply honest, heartfelt, and also somehow fun despite being quite dark. It's honestly about how weird and heavy and deep grief is. I think it's something that I'm also fascinated by because I'm kind of terrified of grief. It's helpful to have these conversations to start to think about something that we all will inevitably have to encounter. And I'm grateful she's writing about something so difficult with grace and humor. So from today's chat, you'll learn how to get comfortable with your grief and the grief of others, how to actually comfort someone going through grief and the right and wrong things to say, how to reclaim your creativity post-grief, our take on the difficulty of the human experience, and much more. Okay, now here she is, Dina Gashman. Dina, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for this beautiful book you've written. You really know how to translate pain onto the page in a way that feels inclusive and where I'm right there with you. Thank you for that. It was really beautiful to read your words. Well, thank you for saying that. And thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. First, I'm wondering if you would be willing to share some of your grief story and why you felt compelled to share it with the world. Sure. So I, um, I've been a professional writer for a long time and wrote, you know, a lot of entertainment journalism and humor and things like that profiles and never really wrote about grief. And then my mom died in 2018 of colon cancer. And then two years after that, my sister Jackie died of alcoholism. And so with these two back-to-back really devastating losses, you know, as a writer, and especially somebody who'd done a lot of personal essays, you know, I was used to writing about my life. And so with these huge losses, I had written two essays after my mom died. And I noticed a lot of comments and a lot of emails and this was pre-COVID. So I was sort of surprised that people wanted to talk about it so much. Mm. I think now coming through the pandemic, people are talking about it more, but that really struck me. And then I wanted, I didn't think about writing a book until a couple months after my sister died. So she died March 1st, 2021. And then that summer, I kind of started thinking, I'd read a lot of grief books. They were amazing, but there was something that I wanted that was different, I guess, that was part journalism, part memoir with humor, where I could interview people. And as somebody who was living with grief, I wanted to learn about it. You know, I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychologist. So I was actually curious about it. So the book was almost a way for me to learn about it myself. Yeah. And you know, when you just said those things as part memoir, part journalism, 
I didn't think of it, but it's so true. You somehow found a way to weave all of those different genres very seamlessly. What was your approach to that when you were telling your own story, but then to also like yank yourself out of your own story and kind of look at it from above like a journalist and get this research going? How did you combine all of those worlds? And did it happen in your first draft? It was in the first draft. It was in the proposal. So I wrote a proposal first. I had told my agent I was, I wanted to write a book about grief. And her response was like, well, I don't know. There's a lot of grief books. But I was like, let me just write this proposal and, and see. And so the proposal actually had even more interviews. It was probably too many voices. I just went a little nuts on <laughs> interviewing everyone I could. So it felt kind of seamless, I guess. Like I knew the parts of my own story that I wanted to share. Like I wanted to write about our experience when my mom was in hospice. I felt like that was an experience I didn't read a lot about. And we were totally adrift and in shock through our experience. So I wanted to write about it for people who maybe have gone through it or will go through it. So there were certain things I knew I wanted to write about, like the hospice experience or dealing with those initial days of grief or the numbness that you can go through. And then the interviews just became kind of a part of it. Like I would be writing about my own experience and think, okay, maybe I should talk to a palliative care specialist or let me interview this woman who has lost her daughter, who, you know, went through her own hospice with her. And so I had pages and pages of interviews and I would just find the parts of their stories that really resonated or where our stories meshed. So it was kind of like writing a long form essay, I guess, for each chapter is how I approached it. Mm. Yeah, I love it. It didn't even occur to me that it was happening, which I think very rarely happens when people are like bringing experts because I've read a lot of books in the past year for the show. And when people are bringing experts into the books, it very much usually like slaps me out of the book. And I'm like, whoa, wait, I'm in a lab now. But you somehow <laughs> found a way to do it in that like until you said that, I didn't even realize that you had done that. I thought you were just like quoting these people and like, ah, oh, yes. And my friend over here has a very interesting theory on this. <laughs> so just kudos, I think, for anybody who's looking to validate their personal stories and like take them into the world of like research or experts. You did a beautiful job in this world and in this book. And it's a great guide for how to do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, like I said, I've, I've written a lot of personal essays in the past and I feel like now, like I'll do it occasionally, but I just, I don't want to hear only about myself. <laughs> and so it's nice for me to actually bring other people's voices into a story. And so I feel like that's helpful for me. So it's not just me, 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 every single page. I like that part of it. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, but it was still very much you, but then bringing these other perspectives in to support what you're saying about your own life. I wanted to jump to the thing you said about hospice because I have to totally agree. My grandmother was sick for a long time. She had this disease called multiple system atrophy. When she started declining, we did hospice. And my mom and her siblings were all kind of like scattered and not on the same page about things. So I flew back from Los Angeles to set up the hospice for them because I felt like they needed someone like on the ground who could just like get things done. Yeah. And we were very disappointed by the experience. It was not what we thought it was. And so I wonder if you could bring some of your experience to the table on that and like why you wanted to write about it because we very much had a similar thing happen and we thought it was going to be like this round the clock care and it was all right we're coming in to check the vitals and then we're out yeah we were totally in shock I mean I don't know if I just watched too many movies with like Hollywood versions of somebody dying probably did but I guess yeah I thought there'd be somebody around the clock and when my grandparents two of them had had hospice and I guess from my memory there was always somebody there but maybe that was just when I visited someone was there but 
yeah, with my mom, I mean, we brought her home and we thought, oh, it'll be this, you know, we'll have candles lit. And, and it was completely not that. I mean, we were measuring medications. We were giving her medications. We, it was pretty much us constantly. And then, yeah, they would come in. And so before I wanted to write the book, I actually wanted to write about hospice. And because it was such a profoundly, the word trauma is thrown around, but it was a very traumatic experience for us, like helping our own mom die. And so I knew I wanted to write about that. And I, and I also knew if I was going to write about it, it had to have humor because it's so sad yeah. <laughs> and it's so hard that I was like, it has to have some dark humor in it. Luckily or not, luckily the, the nurse who gave us the orientation kicked things off by telling us this horrible story on the first night of hospice about her whole family being murdered. And my sisters and I were like, this is so absurd. We have to laugh. Like it was so horrible. So it just kicked off the whole experience of just approaching it with that dark humor. I have gotten emails and stuff from people just saying like that no one talks about this because they don't. And especially in America, there's just not a lot of help. And so you're sitting there measuring medications and it needs to change, but it was really harrowing for us. I totally relate to that, seeing what I saw through my grandma. And I, I don't know, it's just an interesting part as I was reading your book, because you're like, we probably should have done this, but how are you supposed to really do this right? You know, because yeah. I'm like trying to think of all the things that I want to do to prepare myself for when my parents pass. And I like your son, I'm an only child. And so it's like there's this other heaviness that I know I'm going to have to do all these things alone. And I'm like, as much as I want to prepare and be like perfect and send them off in a perfect way, there's really no right way to do it. Yeah, no, there's not. And I think, you know, even though maybe reading about this would help somebody be like, oh, okay, this may be more than I expected. Like, yeah, I, th I don't think there's any way to truly prepare for watching someone you love die. But, you know, I think one of the things that I learned just from even talking to experts is that having end of life talks before somebody's sick, which I started doing now with my husband and he's like, why are you talking? <laughs> Trust me, it's better to do it now. Because with my mom, for example, like she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, which I think we were in denial at first, which basically is terminal. And we couldn't have those conversations. It's too hard when somebody's sick to say like, okay, how do you want to die? Because you want to give them hope. So I guess if there's anything people can do is like have the talks early is one of the things that I learned. But yeah, once you're in it, I don't know if there's a way to make it better. It's just a hard thing to go through. We probably don't have those talks because we are a grief avoiding culture. And of course, when we're with someone we love, we don't want to be thinking about them passing away. Yeah. But what does it mean that we're in a grief avoidant culture and what should we do about that? Yeah. I mean, those are big questions. I think it's changing a little bit, or maybe I'm just so much in the grief world that I, I mean, I literally had lunch with somebody today and we talked about grief for like two hours, just what I do now, but I feel like it may be changing a little bit, but I think because we don't want to talk about it, we're scared of the big emotions and we're scared of offending people. It just makes it harder when it happens to you, right? Because you feel pretty isolated. But then once you start talking to people who have grief in their life, you realize most people do want to talk about it. Most people do want to even talk about something extremely painful. And if they don't, they won't. But I just think that we just have gotten so used to keeping it quiet and cry in the corner, but go back to work and don't show anybody. And that's just not how grief is. I mean, even years later, you could be having a horrible, distraught cry, and then, then you move on and go about your day. But I think we just were scared of the emotions of it, I think. 
hundred percent. I mean, you had this part in the book, I think it was on your sister's birthday, the year after she passed or the year she passed. And you said, I was not wanting to cause a scene. And I wrote yeah. that down because I'm like, why do we never want to cause a scene? Like, why are we always crossing our fingers, desperately hoping that nobody else realizes that we too are human? You know, yeah. like, <laughs> what would be the worst thing? Like you say, sorry, I just lost my sister and someone would feel bad. Like, Maybe they're uncomfortable for a second, but then you get to have a human moment. Tell me about this not wanting to cause a scene thing that we all do. Yeah. I mean, I think I did it when I went back to work pretty quickly after my mom's funeral. You know, I was like, okay, I'm going to keep it together. And then I wound up just bawling in front of my bosses and it was okay. It's only going to be a very cruel person who's like, oh, I can't, I got to walk away from this. I mean, most people will comfort you and be like, oh yes, of course you can be sad, but I think it's just wanting to upset people. I mean, I still, I'm more comfortable with it now, but I still have moments where I'm like, I'm not going to bring my sister up at this party because I don't want to depress everyone. And so, you know, you just don't want to be that person that's bringing everyone down, I guess. But yeah, like you said, I think for the most part, people would totally understand. Like if someone was bawling in the middle of the grocery store and I said, are you okay? And they said somebody died, I would completely comfort them and not think, oh God, this is strange. But I think We've just put that pressure on ourselves. And then there's that whole thing that there's five stages and which isn't true. And, you know, that we're supposed to go about it a certain way. And there's really no certain way at all. And so I think we just need to get more comfortable with the idea of grief and the idea that like, if somebody's bawling in front of you, like you don't need to make it go away, right? You don't need to fix it. There's nothing you can do to make somebody's grief go away. And that's how it is. It's not your fault, but I think there's this pressure to like fix it or make it better. And it just makes people feel uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you had this really cool part of the book where you did two columns and you're like, this is helpful. This is not helpful. Short of actually like making that for yourself and sending it to someone, like what do you think is the best way for somebody to comfort a person in their life who is going through grief? There's a lot of good ways. I mean, the ways that aren't good are like, you know, asking too many questions, especially in the initial days of like, what time should I come or what can I bring? Or even when somebody's in the fog of grief, it's very hard to even decide, like, or remember your name, you know? right. much less like what you want for lunch. So, you know, not making people think too much, I think is good. And I think just saying like, I'm here and being honest, like the reason the book's called So Sorry for Your Loss is because it's one of those phrases that people say that, you know, you just don't want to upset somebody. So, so you say condolences or so sorry for your loss, but it's okay to say like, this is so devastating. My heart is broken, right? I think people are afraid to say those things. But to me, you know, I think it's more comforting. And I think, yeah, just being there and not putting pressure on somebody to be okay. Like, you know, how are you doing today? I mean, they're probably not doing well. (laughs) So it's probably better to just be like, Hey, I'm dropping something off. Here you go. And, you know, my friends that were so sweet, like they still, you know, on certain anniversaries or things like that, they'll just send me a little text. Like I'm just thinking of you. And that's, that's really all you have to do. I think. I think part of the enormity of a lot of different types of pain sometimes comes from feeling like nobody else understands how enormous it is. Yeah, it can feel very, very isolating. Like when I was going through, you know, the loss of my mom in those final days and weeks, like my sisters, my dad and I felt like we were in this little pod of just like the whole world was outside going at a different pace than us. Like I just felt completely isolated in this house with them and really detached from the world. But then when she get out in it, or when I got out in it and you realize that so many other people have had that depth of pain, but I think until you've gone through it and you've made those bonds with other people, it can feel kind of lonely. Cause it's, you know, those emotions are like nothing I've ever felt. They're really intense, which is another surprising thing. Cause I had lost grandparents who I adored, but 
I think when it's this kind of thing, it's a whole other ball game. Yeah. I mean, I haven't lost a parent yet, but it's one of my greatest fears and it likely will happen unless something terrible happens to me. And I think about it a lot, like how it must feel like from both my parents who've lost their parents to not have, if you had a good parent, that like constant source of love that you know is never going to go away. Like it's one of the biggest blessings we can ever have. And yeah, how do you move through that? I mean, it's not easy. I mean, you know, for me personally, one of the things that's been the most helpful is coming through this experience, understanding that when somebody dies, the relationship does not end. I mean, yes. obviously I would rather have them here. And I, you know, ache to text my mom every single day, like every single day. But I've come to understand that like the relationship's still there. The love is still there. So I still talk to them, you know, they'll show up in dreams or I'll ask them advice about things and no, it's not the same, but that helps me a lot. Like just having that, like I have my sister's picture right here. Like it just, that helps me tremendously just kind of finding ways to stay linked to them. And it's, I think psychologists call it continuing bonds and finding those ways. And it's different for everybody. Somebody may wear a necklace, somebody may wear a person's shirt or, you know, whatever it may be is finding those things that keep you connected to the person, I think is helpful because otherwise it, I think it would feel kind of scary just feeling like, okay, they're just gone. <laughs> yeah, It's nice to have those things like, oh, that butterfly maybe was my mom. Like who cares if it sounds silly? You just gave some really great examples, but for somebody who has lost someone close to them and doesn't feel like they have little signs or symbols or ways to talk to them, like how do you advise they start to build that relationship with them after passing? That's a good question. Cause you know, I would imagine that would be hard, right? If you feel like you don't have that or, you know, grief can be so devastating that maybe people just really feel like they're just gone and that's it. But I think just trying different things, like I think it's, it may not be one thing that works for you. It may not be the cliche of like, I'm going to make an altar to them or whatever it is. One woman told me, I interviewed her for an article I wrote and I loved this. She said on father's day, her dad had died and on Father's Day, she was just so upset and she was like crying at home and she took her sons and she's like, you know what? We're going to Macy's. She went to Macy's. She bought like her dad's favorite perfume that he would wear, a perfume, <laughs> whatever, cologne, perfume that he would wear in the eighties. And she sprayed it all over herself. She sprayed it all over the house. And she was like, you know what? She cried, but she's like, it made her feel close to him. And I was like, that's such a great, very personal example that you would think it would make you feel worse, but it might make you feel better, you know, like listening to their favorite music or going and eating their favorite meal or whatever, you know, it, it can be very individual, but I do think that finding those things can be really helpful, make it feel less just scary and sad, I guess. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That's a great example. How do you feel that these losses have affected your spirituality, if at all? I mean, I believe in, like I saw my mom and sister in a dream earlier this summer. And I was like, okay, I think that actually, like, I think they, they were sitting at a cafe table and I'm like, I'm going to take that as they were actually sitting talking yeah. at a cafe table, right? Like, why not? And I think that, you know, I don't know if this is spirituality, but I think grief can definitely like, even if you're already an empathetic person, it just like strips away the layers. So your empathy for people is a lot deeper. And so to me, I guess the part of the spirituality of grief is like the connections that I've found with other people. It does feel spiritual. You know, you, you meet these people and you're immediately going from like, Hey, what's your name? to like your deepest sadness or experiences. And that can actually be pretty healing. And so that's been helpful for me. And I don't, I don't know if it's changed me on a level of like, I pray more or anything like that, but I do believe in certain things. Like I talk to my son about my mom and sister all the time and say that they're here with us and things like that. So if you didn't believe in 
energy and things like that, it may make you (laughs) want to believe in those things. Comforting. How do you talk to your son about them and like make sure that he has a relationship with them, even though they're not here? Well, he's five and a half now. I mean, he won't really remember either of them, right? I mean, he was 13 months old when my mom died, but I tell him a lot of stories and, you know, with little kids, you're not supposed to say like they're floating in the clouds or, you know, it it confuses them. And so you're supposed to say like, they died. It's okay if kids ask questions or, you know, my son once asked me like, well, what is a soul? And I was like, buddy, that's beyond my pay grade here. (laughs) I don't think anyone can answer that. No, I have no, I was like, I have no idea. So I tell him a lot of stories. Like I tell him if he's eating cottage cheese, for example, I'll say, oh, that was Cece's one of her favorite foods, you know? So he gets to know these like little things and he remembers them. Like I told him that my mom who was CC to him and then my grandmother, his great grandmother would always say like, don't leave the house with chip nail polish. Like these two little Southern, you know, Texas ladies. So I tell him that story. And then if he sees me with chip nail polish, he'll be like, mommy, CC would not like that. And I'm like, yes, he kind of knows her. (laughs) He knows her a little bit. So I just try to tell as many stories as I can that maybe he'll form some idea of her and it helps. It's really cute when he says that. That's really beautiful. He's like, he's a nail polish cop. <laughs> Sadly, my nails are, are chipped often. So, oh, I know. I was going to say, your mom and your sister would have been horrified by me the way I am on a daily basis. <laughs> no, I always am like, sorry, mom. <laughs> well, she loves you and accepts you for who you are. Yes, she's fine. Yeah. And I'm curious on that note, how do you feel it affected your creativity? Because obviously, you've always been a writer. And I love that part in the book where you talk about how your mom was like, someday you're going to write a book about Jackie. And it was true, but it was half true because you wrote it about both of them. Yes. Yeah. How do you feel that it has affected your creativity, that they speak through you and what you do with your writing? How has that been? You know, I do love that question. I think, I don't know if my writing style has changed. I think I was leaning on humor a lot before all of this, like probably too much. I wrote a lot of humor pieces and that's fine. But now I think I'm less reliant. I I understand that like, I don't need to lean on that as much. I can kind of let things be what they are. But I think I write about grief a lot now because of the book and I love it in a sense. It's also very exhausting (laughs) because it's very emotional. Like I just turned in a story today about grief and a family and it's, I've been working on it all summer and it like took a toll. Like it was really hard, but I'm proud of it, but it's, I feel like it's harder work Mm -hmm. in the past. I think the things I worked on weren't quite as serious, I guess, you know, I'd be interviewing like a movie star or something like that. And now I think my work maybe leans a little bit more serious in a sense. And I welcome that. It's just more tiring. Yeah. And I guess it does thread through a lot of things that I work on. It's kind of hard for it not to, I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to, you know, interview a director and be like, tell me about any grief experiences. You know, that's not what I'm saying, but it just, I think it's hard for it not to filter in a little bit. Yeah. In an interview I was listening to, you said you feel like you were writing with your sister and your mom. Can you speak to that a little bit? I definitely did with the book, especially my sister. My mom was always so supportive. I mean, she was just the sweetest. And she did always say, because my sister suffered for years from alcoholism. And even before that, she had learning differences and just kind of was really eccentric. And so my mom would say, you're going to write about Jackie one day. And, you know, like I say in the book, we just didn't know it would be this book. So she was always so supportive with my sister. She was super creative person, but because of her alcoholism, like our relationship was tough. It was really, really hard. And when I was writing the book, I have this picture of her right next to me. And I really felt like she was writing the book with me. I just felt that very strongly that she was like right there with me and 
I would look at her picture and say like, what do you think, Jackie? And it just felt, it was a nice way to, for me to kind of bring her into it and felt like we could kind of finally be creative partners together. And, and so that was, it was really sweet. So I do feel like she was kind of there guiding me along a little bit. That is so beautiful. I mean, I was going to ask you a question about how people can co-create with their past loved ones, because I feel that in your book when I'm reading it, even the way you described your sister. I mean, she was cool. Like I could just feel how cool she was. And it seems like it was effortless for her. It was just part of who she was. Even in her darkest moments, she still looked glamorous when you described her walking across the street in New York City. Yeah. She was just effortlessly glamorous. And I just love the fact that she is getting to co-create with you in maybe a way that she always would have wanted to, but didn't get the opportunity to because of the disease and that you literally asked her, what do you think? Am I doing it right? What would you add to this? Yeah. And I, and I loved having that. And I also really, one of the reasons I wanted to write the book too, is to pay tribute to her and to other people like her who suffer from alcoholism or substance abuse. Cause I think they're so often misunderstood. I know she was for sure. And it's crazy to me sometimes to think that like somebody's going to have this book in their home across the country or wherever they are. And they're going to get to know my sister a little bit. Like that's, she can kind of live on in that way where people may have never heard of her. Now they can have this image of this woman with like bright red hair who loved David Bowie. And like, it's kind of cool that she can sort of enter people's lives in that way. Very cool. You talk about a lot in the book just now how alcoholism and people like who are addicted are very misunderstood. And what is the top thing that you want to clarify about people who are struggling with addiction? Gosh, there's so much, but I think one of the main things is that they can just quit because I think we see people and I used to do this too. I would be like, well, I know this person who's been sober for 10 years or this person's dad's been sober for 20 years. Like, why can't she just get it together? Right. Just thinking that like they have a choice, they can just quit. And yes, there is a choice to be made, but I think I see addiction as having stages like cancer, right? There's people who maybe can stop and it's still a struggle. Obviously it's not like a walk in the park, but I think she had it to such a degree. I mean, she drank herself to death. So I just think to understand that it's not so simple, right? And it's not like, it's easy to get frustrated with them. I got frustrated with her all the time, but just to know that it it truly is a disease and it's just not as easy as like, get them into rehab and it's, why can't they just stop? I think people get so angry with addicts and alcoholics and just maybe to have a more of a heart for what they suffer from. Because if you don't have it, it's, I think, impossible to understand. How did you get to that place where you felt that way? It was like a, many years. She struggled for so many years. And, you know, I still had anger towards the end, of course, because you just go back and forth. But I think it was going to an Al-Anon meeting finally, because I just had this swirl of like anger and frustration and anxiety and sorrow and all these things, not understanding the disease. And then I went to Al-Anon and it, it definitely helped me. Like, you know, they teach you to detach with love and try and live your own life. And so that helped me tremendously. And I think through my parents too, just my dad has been really amazing. Like he really was always there for my sister. He never judged her. She could call him four in the morning and he would just be like, where are you? So I learned a lot watching him, honestly. There's a lot of people in this audience who either have loved or currently love an addict, are struggling with codependency, do you consider yourself a codependent person or is that not a label you identify with? I mean, I guess we all are in a certain sense, you know, depending on the relationship. I mean, I think as a human, it's hard not to be sometimes like to be totally independent and not need that. And I think with 
these kinds of relationships can really wear you down. I mean, you talked about New York, like the year I lived in New York with my sister was really tough because we were in the same city and I became just obsessed with like, why isn't she calling me? Why isn't she texting me? Why is she flaking on dinner again? It was like wearing down my own mental health and physical health. I was a total wreck. So it definitely affects you from that perspective. And it's hard to not, right? If you love somebody, it's really, really hard not to have all those feelings and just want to fix it, you know, but you really can't. Yeah. I mean, I know you said you went to Al-Anon and everything and your dad was a great example, but how did you learn to love yourself and love her at the same time? I think it was that detaching with love really helped because it takes away the guilt because there were so many times I'd have to say to her, like, Jackie, I love you, but I know you're drinking and I just, I got to get off the phone because it would always, she would become belligerent or just, it was too hard. And so it takes away that guilt and it allows you to live your own life. So through doing that, it definitely helped me. And she was really amazing. I mean, when she was sober, she's just the sweetest person. And so she never, there was never like vindictiveness or anything like that. Like she totally, when she was sober, understood, which is even more heartbreaking, but I think just through each time I would have to say like, I love you so much and I'm here for you, but I can't talk to you right now. And the more I did that, the more I realized, okay, that actually helps. And you have to create boundaries. Like you just have to, my dad had to do it. It's better for everybody. Yeah. A lot of this that you're going through is during the pandemic and Mm -hmm. this heartbreaking time when we're not able to see each other and like you weren't able to see her because COVID was just like rampant at that time. How did you deal with that in the aftermath of her passing? It was really hard. I mean, my mom died before the pandemic. So we got to be there with her, you know, every second and have a big funeral. And then Jackie was winter 2021. And one of the hard things was that we kept, she was sober the last year of her life. And I think that's not an atypical story that somebody gets sober and then have a really bad relapse, but we kept talking about a visit and we kept putting it off because of the pandemic and saying like, okay, we'll do it, but I don't know, should we fly? And, you know, I really wish we had not put it off, but we did. And so that was really hard to reconcile. And my dad still brings it up. Like, I just wish we would have, you know, flown her out and, you know, her funeral was smaller, but we still had to have some family there and things like that. But it was hard and it definitely made me feel for anyone who like lost someone in the thick of it when you just couldn't even say goodbye. Like that's, just completely broke my heart. I think with Jackie, it was the not being able to visit was the hard thing. And what are your views on things like regret? Is that something you believe in? How do you think about something like that? I mean, it's one of those things that, I mean, we're human, we're going to have it. You can't just be like the superhero and never feel regret, but I don't think it helps. And it's usually, it's not going to do any good for you. And there's usually not anything you did wrong, right? Unless you like push somebody onto the subway platform, like it's probably not your fault. And so I understand that like, you know, you even think like, oh, what if I called her more in those last days? Like there's really nothing when it comes to these kinds of things that you could do. So that's something, you know, that I have to work on just through therapy and telling myself that like, it's out of your hands. And that's hard to come to terms with that because it feels, you know, we want to be in control, right? We want to like, feel like we have control over things. But when it comes to death, we have absolutely none. Sometimes when you think about being a person, like being a person is crazy. I can't believe, like, I know I'm asking you all these questions and I'm like, how do we do it? How do we do it? But like, I know you don't know, you know, I don't know. I'm just... but we keep waiting for someone to tell us like, here is the magic formula and then everything will be okay. And we just can't. And I hate yeah. that. I know. I know. It's hard because it would be so nice, right? If yeah. Somebody could just float down and be like, hey, here's how you do it, guys. But 
yeah, we just have to kind of stumble around and figure it out. It's just part of being human and it sucks. It does suck. It's not fun. Oh my gosh. So something I want to talk about with that is like, I don't know about you, but like when I was 27, I went through this incredibly painful experience and like one of the darkest times of my life. And I remember having the realization that, oh my God, my parents are people. Yeah. They were going through all of this and raising me. And I called my mom like, hey, I'm really sorry. I just realized you're a person. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know, like I'd never thought about you outside of you're my mom, but you were Joanne and my mom. And how did you do that? And so you really paint this beautiful picture in the book of you're a mom and you're losing your mom. And how do you balance both of those things? And I wondered if you would speak a little bit to that experience because it's something I think about a lot. I don't have children yet, but I think about a lot having them and then going through this. And I just would wonder if you would share that experience. I mean, it's incredibly hard. You know, my mom, we were all very, very, very close. And so losing her was just absolutely devastating. It still is. Like I said, I just hate that I can't text her. I'll be pissed about it forever. (laughs) But you know, having a son myself, it added the pain of like that. He's never really going to know her. Like she was such a wonderful grandmother to like my older niece and everything. It was like a losing that too. Like knowing that he's losing out on having this incredible grandmother added to the sadness for sure. And having to talk to him and like, I mean, he was so young when she died. So I didn't have to, you know, I'm not going to explain to a 13 month old, but as he gets older and he still asks questions, he'll still come up and say, well, what happened again? And, and in a way it's kind of lovely actually that I get to talk to him about her in a way that's pretty open. Like I don't try to hide away from the fact that she died. I try to be very open with him. And I hope that that helps him in the long run to make it less scary. But, you know, as a mom, it definitely, it was hard to have to think, okay, I have a full-time job. I'm taking care of a baby. I have to like put on a smile for him, but then I'm also just want to cry and like crawl into a ball. And so it adds that extra responsibility. Can't just really fall apart. You got another person to think about. So that definitely was tough. Yeah, it's just, it's a lot to manage. I mean, at this point, like if you're crying about it or upset about your loss, do you bring him into that? You just say like, mommy's upset right now. I'm having, you know, a moment where I'm really missing grandma. How do you share that with him? Yeah, I'm pretty open. I mean, the tears aren't nearly as bad as they were in the beginning. Like occasionally I will have that. And yeah, I just, you know, tell him like, I'm sad about Cece. I'll just be honest because- I think children understand that. Like they understand sad, they understand happy. You know, he'll just hold my hand or whatever it is. I mean, if I was going to have a full on meltdown, I'd probably go into the room so I don't scare him. But yeah, I just try to be honest. So yeah, I'm sad about this because that's human and natural. Like I shouldn't hide it from him. Because then I think if you hide it from kids, they're going to think, well, is it bad? Like is mom hiding her tears because it's bad to cry? And it's not, it's natural. Yeah. And that's something you talk about. You call it a G-I-E-A, a grief-induced emotional avalanche. Yeah, those are real. Those are real. So this is the thing where like if a birthday's coming up or the death day's coming up or something in that vein, grief-induced emotional avalanche comes up, correct? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because sometimes they come up just out of the blue, like something totally random will trigger it. And sometimes you'll be anticipating a birthday or something and you're fine, but You know, for me, the big thing was, and I read about this in the book, but my mom and I used to watch Hollywood red carpets. That was like our thing because my mom was really funny and we would just bond over like her comments and things. And so the first year of like the red carpets and stuff, I really agonized over like, do I watch? Do I not watch? 
And so now every year I watch and I think about her. And so this year when I watched, like, I think the last two years I didn't really cry, but this year I was watching and like, I don't know what triggered it, like a beautiful dress. Like I have no idea, but I just lost it. I was bawling like a really intense cry. And my husband came in and he was like, Oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, let me just get it out. It was like 20 seconds. And then I moved on and I totally, even though I was, I knew I was thinking about my mom, I didn't expect that. So I think those kind of moments, you can't predict it. Like you can think, okay, mother's day is coming. This is going to be super hard and you may get through the day. And then a random Tuesday, you're like, why am I bawling? So you think you just have to kind of let in that unpredictability because that's sort of how it goes. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think your book does a lot of beautiful things. But one thing it really did is like to free us all to know it doesn't fit into these five little tidy stages. It's just something you live with for your life. Yeah. And when people tell me that at the beginning, they'd be like, yeah, it doesn't go away. I was so pissed. I was like, what do you mean? It doesn't go away. Like that's the worst thing you could say. And it sounds scary. Like I think if grief is new in your life, you're like, whoa, I can't live this way because it is so intense. You live with it in a way that it becomes a more manageable part of your life. You have joy and you have all these great things that happen, but it's just there. And it doesn't have to be a horrible thing, right? It can just be that you're thinking about them all the time. I think unless you're in it, it's that's a scary concept of being like, wait a minute, this isn't like, there's not going to be a day where I'm like, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really know how to ask this. I'm just going to try my best. Your mom's love, I felt so strongly for you and the way you wrote about her. Like, how do you deal with that not being earth side? Like, do you still feel that from the other side? How do you manage that? I do. I mean, I feel it was such a strong bond and my mom was just so, she was so loving. And so I definitely still feel it. I know that I still feel the love for her. And I feel like, yeah, that doesn't die. Honestly, that when somebody dies, the love does not go away. And so it's not like it just disappears into thin air. Like it really is still there. I still feel it. I know she loves me. You know, I still feel her support. I think that can be comforting too, that it just, it doesn't just disappear forever. It's there. And you said you still feel her support. Like as you put out this book, how did you feel her with you? I mean, I could just hear her little Texas voice like, oh, you know, I love it. (laughs) Whatever she would say. Yeah. I could just hear her like, I knew you were going to write about Jackie. Like it just, you know, all those little things that, you know, I wish she could comment on it because she was pretty hilarious about my dad. So she probably have some funny commentary about him dating. I'm sh- no doubt, which is a whole other saga, but yeah, I feel like she, she was always so supportive that I still feel that support. I definitely do. And I still felt like that with her dad, my grandfather, who was a really creative guy. I felt that for years, you know, he died when I was in eighth grade and I always kind of felt like he was maybe reading things I wrote or I just felt his presence there. Do you ever feel like after someone you love deeply passes that you kind of have like the wind at your back in this different way? Like I felt after my grandma passed, like the year after was really difficult, but I felt this wind at my back when it came to my creativity and I felt like it was her. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. I mean, I think if, especially with the book too, I felt, I mean, it was hard to write emotionally, but I felt very motivated. And I think it does. It gives you like maybe another layer of creativity or another sort of layer of motivation, right? Because I think part of creativity, especially with writing is like connecting to other people. That's why we do it, hopefully. And so having these experiences, like it definitely motivates me to do that even more and connect with people, whether I'm writing about grief or something completely different. Beautiful. And for each grief experience with your mother and your sister, it was quite different. Can you go into that a little bit, the different way that the grief hit you? 
Yeah. I mean, with my mom, she was diagnosed 2015. Like I said, we were in denial for a long time and then she died in 2018 and we had the eight days of hospice to be like, okay, this is happening. Like there's nothing we can do. And we sat with her and we held her hand and we said everything there is to say and more. So we had that closure. Like we were right there. We knew exactly what happened. Like we were there every minute and it was still devastating and hard. But with my sister, you know, because she had been sober for a year and over the years, you know, we had always dreaded getting the call. I think anybody that loves an addict or alcoholic knows what I mean when you say like, you just, you don't want to get that call. And I just didn't expect it to get it at that time. Cause she had been doing amazing. So with my sister, it was a whole different, you know, I was on an airplane, the plane landed and I found out like in the airplanes, like the worst <laughs> possible place, like all claustrophobic. Like I want to scream, but I'm here in an airplane. And it was just so sudden. It's hard for me because we had these back-to-back things. So with my sister, one of the prevailing feelings that we didn't have with my mom was, I can't believe we're doing this again. Like that was a very strong feeling. I think not just for me, but my dad and sisters is like, how are we going to do this again? Like we just did this. We just started like becoming a person again in the world and now we're doing it again. So that was a different challenge. Challenge sounds like, you know, right. Running a marathon. Yeah. It was a different hill, I guess I'll say to go through. It was like, wow, we just went through this. And when you've been through it once, you kind of know what you're in for. And so that was tough. But then with my sister too, I kind of was devastated and then kind of went on a little bit of an autopilot, like a little bit of almost like feeling numb. And that freaked me out a little bit because with my mom, I was just crying and sad and went to therapy. And with my sister, after about a month, I was like, why do I feel okay-ish? Why am I like watching a movie and not crying every second? And so that there was a lot of guilt with that. But then I got sat, you know, a couple months went by and I was devastated again. So the numb sort of autopilot was different. And I think it was almost like my body and mind just saying like, you can only handle so much. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just take a little break. Well, it really reminded me of when you have a massive injury and your body goes into shock and you don't feel it at first. Yeah. That's what it felt like on an emotional level. And I loved too, because, you know, we talk on the show a lot about mental health and therapy, how you talked about shopping for therapists. And would you mind sharing that story? Because I think it's really important that people hear, like, you don't just have to stick with whoever you find first. Yeah, I think that's why many people don't stick with therapy, right? They go to one person and like, oh, that's not working out. And it's like dating. I mean, it really is. You've got to find the person you gel with whose style is going to work for you. Like some people want to do EMDR. Some people just want to talk. You may go through five people. And so I've been in therapy in the past, but when I, about eight months after my mom died, I was like, I need help. And so the first person I found was, you know, they were, it's not like they did anything wrong. Their style wasn't gelling with me. Like they wanted me to like find a safe place and like, in your mind, to be clear. Yes, in my mind, <laughs> not like in the room, but yeah. like in my mind, they wanted me to go to a safe place, which I know can work for a lot of people, especially with anxiety and things. But like, I just wanted to be pissed. And the safe place was not working for me. Like every time I went there, I was like, I want my mom back. And so I went to somebody else and, you know, it just took a while to find somebody that worked for what I needed at the time. And what I needed at the time was just to be pissed, right? And to talk about how angry I was and, and just talk. So I do think that you have to, just be open to like, if you do need help, which I think most of us do in this world is yeah, try different people and try different types of people and different methods until something clicks. And you may go to somebody for six months and be like, I need something different. But I think just being open to that is helpful. And since you are now writing or you've written so much about grief, like at what point after losing you know, your mom and then your sister, did you find yourself coming back to your creativity? Because I think something that's definitely happened for me after great losses, sometimes I can get blocked and just feel like totally uninspired. 
When did you feel like that creative energy was coming back to you? So when my mom was diagnosed, I didn't realize it at the time, but like once I started writing the book, I realized that was the beginning of grief, like the day my mom got that diagnosis. And so for about three years, I worked in advertising at the time. And for about three years, I didn't write much of anything personal. I mean, I was used to writing all kinds of personal essays and I just didn't do much. I was doing, you know, the advertising stuff, but I looked back at my output during that time. And I think it's just because I was trying to navigate living a life with a mom who was going to chemo every two weeks. And I had no idea how to express that. And so I was pretty, I guess, blocked, or I just didn't know how to write about it at all. And then about, I guess about a year after she died, I wrote the first essay, really the first personal thing I'd written in ages. And it was about our red carpet bond about the first year when I was struggling to watch. And when I wrote that, I was like, okay, I remember distinctly feeling like, okay, I think I'm back. Like, cause it had been a really long time. And so that essay definitely kind of kicked me back into feeling really motivated and remembering that I need writing. Like I've always needed writing. It's all I've ever wanted to do. And just remembering that like, that's really vital for me to feel most like myself, you know, to feel good, to feel anything. It's just, I need that in my life. So that essay definitely kind of brought me back. I feel like. Mm. Thank you so much for everything you've shared and for this book. It's just great to read because you really dropped me into your world. But also it's a great guidebook for how to move through grief, how to talk about it, both your own and to others about theirs. And also just a beautiful depiction of your sister and your mother and, and the love you all shared. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's really beautiful. My final question for you is if somebody's listening right now and they're in the middle of the throes of grief, what would you say to them and why? I would say just be very kind to yourself. You know, like don't put pressure on yourself to like, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I mean, it is hard if you have responsibilities like a kid or something like that. But I just would say just try to be really gentle with yourself because whatever you're feeling in the moment is okay and it's going to be really tough. But just, you know, go easy on yourself if you need to like, go get in the bath or whatever you need to do, just go do it and be patient. That's somebody, something that somebody said to me that I think is really helpful is like, you have to be patient with yourself because if weeks, months go by and you're still distraught, like that's just the way you're doing this and it's going to be okay. Thank you so much, Gina. I appreciate you. My heart is with you. I'm grateful for all that you shared in this book and that you share in the world all the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening and thanks to my guest, Dina Gashman. For more info on Dina, follow her at D Gashman, that's D-G-A-C-H-M-A-N, and visit her website, dinagashmanwrites.com. You can get a copy of her book, So Sorry for Your Loss, wherever good books are found. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guests at D Gashman so they can share as well. My wish for you this week is simply that you are kind to yourself and others. Life can be so difficult. The human experience is not for the faint of heart. The fact that you are here in a body getting back on the horse every day is brave. Everyone is going through something. So try your best to approach yourself and others with as much compassion and grace as possible. We all deserve it. And what I really learned from this episode is that we just need each other desperately to get through. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.